This is Nobody Likes Casey McLean, with your host, the one and only person who thinks this podcast should exist, Casey McLean. back for another week you know who it is it's casey mcclain uh support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash the casey mcclain signing up for the patreon you'll get full-length interviews uh video as i catch up to posting the videos they're all zoom videos so don't get too excited uh you should get the podcast before anyone else and this week, uh, I'm starting a question and answer segment. I'll do it as soon as enough questions uh, pile up to, to justify doing the segment. You can email nobodylikescaseymcclain at gmail.com if you have a question. If you're a patron, not only will your questions get absolute priority treatment, but in the future, I will do some uh, patron-only Q&A podcasts. So check that out, patreon.com slash McLean. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at thecaseymcclain, thecaseymcclain.com slash calendar for stand-up dates. I actually have some stand-up dates to promote. Very excited about it. I will be in Appleton, Wisconsin at Skyline Comedy Club, January 28th through 30th, opening for Sean Patton. I will be at Bricktown Comedy Club in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, March, ooh, baby, March 4th, 5th, and 6th, that seems right, uh, let, let, me, let me double check the calendar on those, and then, most importantly, uh, people of Boise, Idaho, I will be... Hold on. I'm getting uh, March 4th, 5th, and 6th. Yes, I'm at uh, Bricktown Comedy Club. I'm also looking at my Google Calendar, by the way, and this is how much of a boring dad I am. I created a lawn care calendar, and that's also the weekend I'm supposed to dethatch and aerate my lawn. I'll be selling tickets. It's a door deal. It's a, I get the gate to my lawn. What a fucking horrible joke. And then uh, yet to be fully announced, but... Uh, if you live in Boise, they have a small new club there that is operating at limited capacity, and I'm not going to announce the whole thing yet, but I'll be there with Gabriel Rutledge December 4th and 5th for a yet-to-be-announced string of dates, but uh, come out to, it's the uh, the lounge at the end of the universe is what it's called in Boise, Idaho. So uh, I say Boise. People in Boise get very uh, upset about you saying Boise, but I've said it my whole life. I'm not changing. Today's guest is Katie Herzog. She is a hilarious podcaster. Formerly, uh, up until the pandemic, she was a uh, she was a writer at The Stranger, and has written in many places. She's controversial. Katie Herzog is controversial, and uh, I was aware of that. I just want everyone to know in the comedy scene, if you're mad at me for interviewing Katie Herzog, I was aware of the controversy. I've I've thoroughly vetted her. I did my I did my uh, appropriate background check. I think she's funny. Uh, I think she's thoughtful and intelligent. 
She used to write for The Stranger, and now she has a podcast called Blocked and Reported, which has a very much more successful Patreon than this podcast. Uh, but don't 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 make that stop you from like donate to both. Go to hers. Hers is better than this anyway. Very very fun and compelling and interesting and funny podcast. Her and a dude named uh, Jesse Single. Um, we talk about the reasons that Katie Herzog is controversial. I'm not going to belabor them in the intro. Uh. I'm also not. I'm not trying to play uh, any kind of gotcha, but I think we. I think we talked about it in a way that was um, a way that was interesting, and also I tend to uh, agree with Katie Herzog's opinion on cancel culture, and we talked about that a decent amount. So, if you're into any of those things, enjoy it. There's also just some just normal funny stuff in the uh, in the podcast. I hope you enjoy that. You can follow Katie Herzog at Kitty Perzog on Twitter. There is a person named Kitty Perzog on Instagram, but they have a private account. And I have a weird thing about uh, requesting to follow people on Instagram. So I don't know if it's if it's Katie Herzog or not. Uh, that being said, there's plenty of pictures of her dog on her Twitter. If that's what if that's the kind of thing you're into on social media. All right. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Katie Herzog, and I will talk to you alone after. Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand updates at thecaseymclean.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymclean. Check out stand up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash McLean. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Fantastic. All right. That's a, that's always a fun way to start a, uh, a yeah. podcast. It does look like we're starting a musical. Uh, Katie Herzog, thank you for doing the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. What is your microphone? Can I ask that? I'm always obsessed with people's home studio. Uh, probably the cheapest thing that I could find on Amazon. I have no idea. I got this like right at the beginning of pandemic. It's a Samsung something or other. Oh, I um, bet it's gonna... Samsung Q2U. Is that it? That might, yeah, that might be it. It's, it looks like it has some dog fur on it. It actually looks like my dog might have taken a bite out of it. Um, now that I look at it, um, and it, yeah, it's 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 not super professional. It's all right. I'm always uh, upset because I have like a pretty decent setup and I've spent a decent amount of money on it. And then I see somebody mm -hmm. being very successful with a like a hundred dollar <laughs> mic. It really pisses me off. But uh, you know, I what something that I've realized about doing my podcast is that quality is actually not that important to people. Yeah. Like we've had some 
you know, like, uh, like I'm doing the editing mostly myself and I, and I know a little bit about editing. I worked in public radio for a little while, but I'm like, certainly not a pro at it. And we've had some like real fuck ups. Like at one point I somehow during the middle of, of a, of a taping, I pressed some button on, I don't know what it was, but I pressed some button that just like lowered my voice by like seven octaves. <laughs> and it was like, what do we do? We just have to like, all right, just like go with it, you know? And, and so we like... I, I like kind of worked on it, tried to like fix the problem, didn't entirely do it, and nobody complained. I spent like ten hours trying to fix this audio, <laughs> and nobody complained. Well, it actually makes me feel feel sort of bad for people who like because I come from public radio, you know people who like spend a lot of money and a lot of time, mm-hmm. and like are like pros with audio, and it doesn't seem to really matter with people. Like quality is not the most important thing. I know. Well, I mean, that's like something we've learned from just podcasts growing is that people don't give too much of a shit about audio quality. And then the pandemic has really lowered, like it's like at 75% of it's already degraded quality uh, because we're doing it all over the internet. And yeah, nobody gives a shit. It makes me feel really stupid for, I own like, uh, I'm not going to say it on record in case this ever comes up in a, uh, a divorce hearing, but uh, more audio <laughs> equipment than I than I should for somebody who has a uh, not very successful podcast. But um, yeah, congratulations to your podcast. I did. Uh, I discovered you. Um, I didn't discover you, but I heard you for the first time on Tim Dillon's podcast. Oh. Uh, I was hoping you were Raz Simone. When I downloaded it, I do want to say. <laughs> I think that. Tim was also hoping I was Raz Simone. <laughs> what if you're oh, you were this was you are Raz Simone and this is just your actual like Raz Simone's your alter ego? Yeah, I'm one of those. Uh, I'm one of those like white women who does who does like part time blackface. <laughs> I'm like uh, the Rachel Dolezal, the Jessica uh, Krug of, uh, of Capitol Hill of uh, Seattle hip hop. I've actually yeah. I've been uh, aware of Raz Simone for a long time because I grew up around here and I know like mm-hmm. I don't know the local hip hop scene, but I know of like many artists in the local hip hop scene. And so it was very he was a, a dubious choice as the leader of the Chaz, and I was really hoping. Uh, but I'm very happy that I, I uh, that you were on there because I I now think I'm uh, I'm saying it here. I think you have the funniest Twitter account that I follow. Oh, thank you. You must yeah. not follow that many people, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I think I think you're very funny, uh, and I think you you like uh, take risks that I'm scared to take. Well, do you have a day job? Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, so that's the difference between us. I don't have a day job. Yeah. I actually, by the way, I know I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but uh, I do know that my local comedy scene, if any of them listen to this podcast, are going to want me to talk to you about your cancellation. Specifically, sure. you've had some run-ins with some uh, local com. As I searched your name on, uh, I was preparing for this, and I ser- and you've had uh, specifically one comedian uh, in the local Seattle comedy scene uh, has it has it out for you. I would say. Oh. I can uh, I I'm, I I think I know who you're talking about. I am not like deeply connected to the Seattle yeah. comedy scene. If there if that thing exists, if the comedy scene exists, which I'm not entirely sure that it does, um, but there what? is one quote unquote comic mm-hmm. um, who really doesn't like me. So I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh he made like a David Letterman bottom ten list of Seattle yeah. people, and uh, yeah. you made that list. Yeah, it was like the worst people in Seattle. And it was like me and Jenny Turkin. And my response to that is like, you are a fucking homophobe, my friend. <laughs> like, there's two women on this list and both of them happen to eat pussy. Okay, what does that say about you? Yeah, wow. Um, Brett, uh... Brett, wait, it's Brett Hamble, right? Is that his name? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh Okay, it, yeah, again, I like I'm I've never actually watched this comedy, but I it is easy to remember his name because he has the name of a like famous ice skater or something like that. Oh, that's right. Is it is that right? Is that I know there's Mark Hamill as the Star Wars oh, guy, right? Okay, maybe Mark maybe I'm thinking of Mark Hamill. I I'm probably right? going to bleep his name for the record just cuz I have sure. zero interest in starting a beef with him. But you know, I will I don't, say I don't I don't think he could do much to hurt you, but I, I totally <laughs> appreciate it. I mean, I think like the local uh, I truly like just talking to you might do more to hurt me in the local comedy scene than anything Brett Hamill could do. Um, but yeah, his I mean, his comedy's fine. It's just generic. Uh, I mean, I'm not to say like I'm probably generic white guy comedy also. I'm not I'm not trying to take myself out of that category, but it's not like he's uh, some especially woke, uh, enlightened comic on stage. Um, but so well, you... it's, it's, it's like, it's so, all right. So let me, let me like turn it on you for a second. Sure. So, so you're a comic in the local scene. Mm-hmm. Is, is what comedy funny? Oh, I mean, I think it's like, yeah. I, mean, I think there's people who are funny. I mean, it's, it's uh-huh. like all, it's all, everything has more shit than good. Like every, yeah, of course. Of yeah. Course. So there's, there's very good local, like woke comics uh i think there's like also people who just like um bro comedy or whatever who are doing imitations of the good ones Mm -hmm. so like uh i remember i went to a show in olympia it's like a common uh evergreen call ever is university or college i think it was college at one point The, the evergreen state university okay so it's a common haunt for uh, students there. Uh, they're not big fans of mine on uh, just appearance alone. It takes uh-huh. a little time to win them over. Uh, but I went on stage. The first time I ever went on stage there, a woman in front of me, who's, by the way, very funny, but her punchline was, li- like the joke, entire joke uh, premise to punchline was, I live with two straight, white, cisgendered men. Pause. So you know that's fun. That's like... The room explodes, and it's like, oh, that's just that's like the height. that's like barely right. even a reference, right? Right. Um. So, is it funny? I mean, there's certainly, I think there are certainly people that are funny. I don't know that like it's not my my cup personally. I certainly think there's woke people who are funny, but they're doing good comedy, not necessarily woke comedy. You know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I, are you? Do you consume any comedy? No. Uh, very, very little. I occasionally listen to Tim Dillon's podcast. Sure. Um, I've listened to Whitney Cummings' podcast. Oh, she's great. Uh, because Whitney I, Cummings yeah, is Yeah, I, I heard her and somebody else on Rogan that was funny. Annie Letterman. Annie Letterman's yeah. hilarious, too. Is she related to David Letterman? No, it's L-E-D-E-R. Okay, gotcha. Um, s- s- They were super funny. Mm-hmm. But I don't... So I worked at a comedy club when I was 18, and I think it ruined oh, really? comedy for me. Oh, what because comedy Because I would see... it. Was, this was a very short-lived... It lasted for like three months. This was in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. And the funniest thing about it was that the guy who owned it would... He was like obscenely obese, like like literally like 450 pounds. And the funniest thing about it was that he would take... He would, we had like a nacho cheese machine in the back and he would like take the nacho cheese machine and he would like get a chip and he would like, like squeeze the cheese onto the chip to the point where he couldn't fit his mouth around it. So watching him try to fit a a chip with a three inch stack of of liquid cheese was pretty funny, (laughs) but the rest of it was not. Um, And I would see the same people. I think Lisa Lampanelli, she was probably the only actually like famous person who came through, but I would see the same acts like 
you know, like three times a night. Um, and then I would have to like suffer through open mic nights, which yeah. was just like horrendous. And I think it killed comedy for me. So yeah, I, I, I don't watch that. much of it. By the way, yeah. open mic comedy has killed watching comedy for me too. I don't watch as much of it yeah. because of how many open mics I've sat through. And but and Wake, Wake Club staff, by the way, the biggest heroes in comedy because they do sit through uh, oh my god like the worst comedy constantly without yeah. i at least get to shit talk the comic when he gets off stage i probably know the the uh the man or woman performing and uh i can shit talk to them where the waitress maybe has to keep some professionalism um, yeah it's uh it's terrible for for wait staff although you know then again all that stuff is dead now so i guess it's like i know you said the thing about the comedy scene existing or not existing and i couldn't tell if that was a commentary on the size of the scene or just the general uh shutdown of everything in the world right, right now nothing exists anymore yeah so so the reason uh you got you got canceled quote unquote canceled um because you wrote an article about uh trans people detransitioning um i read the article i feel like you're, it was like well sourced reported. You talked to people. It wasn't uh, some wild opinion. You weren't. Uh, you weren't. It wasn't even an opinion, right? You were just. Uh, you talked no. to people. Yeah, I mean, okay. So what happened is, I was a freelancer for The Stranger, which is Seattle's all weekly, which is sort of now. Uh, it's a website. Print doesn't exist anymore post COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote this piece called "The Detransitioners." And it was about this like very small population of people who had transitioned from one sex to the other and then transitioned back. And it was not an opinion. I mean, most of what I wrote for The Stranger in the subsequent years was opinion, but this was when I was a freelancer and this was just a, like mm -hmm. a reported piece. And there was this crazy backlash. Um, people, like a lot of it was online as you would expect, but it was also offline. Like people made flyers calling me and the paper transphobic and they put them up in all the coffee shops in the neighborhood. They put them in the, the paper boxes. Um, Didn't they vandalize the stranger office? Yeah, that came way later. So oh, the really? kind of great. Yeah. So the, the piece was published in 2017 and then in like 2019, for some reason, I guess it was 2019, somebody started or somebody's started making stickers and posting them around Seattle, calling me transphobic. And there were like three different versions of these stickers um, after I, so I was laid off at the beginning of COVID. Um, and after that, Chaz Chop um, arose and not connected to my layoff of the stranger, but my <laughs> office happened to be in Chaz or my former office happened to be in Chaz. And at the, like, it, which is right down the street from the police station that has been sort of the target of lots of protests in Seattle. And um, in the, the early days of Chaz, somebody spray-painted Fuck Herzog on the door of The mm. Stranger, which was kind of funny because I didn't work there anymore. Um, but there was a lot of stuff like that. Like, there were stickers, there were flyers. People burned stacks of the paper and sent me video of it. It was really, really crazy. And I think that, like... If people read the piece, it's called The Detransitioners, easy to find. Just search Katie Herzog, The Stranger, Detransitioners, or just search The Detransitioners. You can also search uh, Katie Herzog, Transphobic, and it'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah. And when people read the piece and, like, actually read it, as opposed to, like, just read about it, mm -hmm. um, the reaction is usually like, what the fuck? Like, why are people mad about this? Because it's not transphobic uh, by any means. And it was like, I even had like trans sensitivity readers before that was sort of a, uh, before we had a word for sensitivity readers. Um, I had them. It was a very like 
we my editor and I took like every precaution to make to like be sensitive about this piece because mm-hmm. we knew it was going to be um uh, a shit show and it was a shit show and like way more of a shit show than than I sort of expected and that so so that was published that in 2017 and then uh so it's three years later and it's odd like I really haven't written much about trans people um since then or trans issues since then but this sort of narrative has really <laughs> it's like has staying power mm-hmm. um and so lots of people like think that I'm transphobic they believe it they probably haven't re- read the piece and that's just sort of like my life now is just being labeled as a transphobe can I, I want to hypothesize why people would would take that from it because I don't really understand how you would get that from that article but there's certainly I have some personal ignorance I'm certain sure. uh, around that issue my hypothesis is that that population represents a very small portion of trans people or formerly trans people and they using them as like the image of trans people maybe would um like hurt the cause of trans people overall is that well sure i mean and that's and that's i actually talked about that in the piece there is this um you know right wing particularly right wing legislators or legislators have uh used detransitioners um to write anti-trans legislation mm-hmm. that has happened and i and i wrote about that in the piece um because it's a it's a thing that's real i don't think that it was um a particular concern in washington state like at the time that i wrote the piece there was an anti-trans bathroom bill um or not a bill an initiative that was like they were this like group was trying to collect signatures for it and this was the second time, at least the second time that they had tried to collect signatures to put this this initiative on the ballot that would like make the people vote on like whether or not trans people could use the bathroom of their preferred sex, which I was totally against. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't get enough signatures and it didn't the first time it didn't the second time and it won't the third time because this is not a state where this is an incredibly liberal state. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get everyone on, you know, east of the Cascades to sign this ballot and it probably still wouldn't pass um so i don't think it was a, a like a uh, not that it was a legitimate concern but i don't think it was a realistic thing to worry about but yes yeah. like people are worried about it. and like you know a lot of a, a lot of people were angry about this piece it was a small number of hyper online trans activists who sort of elevated this piece called it problematic and then a lot of allies glommed onto that without reading it um Mm -hmm. and you know uh they don't represent the majority and i got lots of messages from people both detransitioners and from trans people and from cis allies who reached out to me afterwards mostly in private um and thanked me for it and you know i try to focus on that Mm -hmm. unless on the stickers calling me a literal nazi (laughs) Well, that's. I'm curious how like the next couple of days were. And tell me, by the way, if this is like a hack interview question, I'm sorry. Please yeah. tell me, and and you can direct me to the uh, to the people asking you these questions. I worry because I uh, I interviewed someone who had opened for Dave Chappelle, and mm-hmm. I li- I asked the dumbest question. I was like, "What does that mean for you?" And he's like, "Fuck you! I'm not answering that question." <laughs> uh, so please, I'll be uh, nicer than that. Tell me to fuck off. But I'm I just like I'm thinking of how scary that would be. To just, uh, I'm, I mean, I, I'm terrified as a comic. Like, literally, I'm terrified 
of jokes on stage making yeah. it so people stop booking me on comedy shows. Yeah. Nobody's making stickers with my name on it. Yeah. Vandal or I mean I guess the vandalizing was after, but that's a level of of uh hatred that yeah. seems more dangerous. That seems dangerous. Like I would feel threatened. I never felt threatened. Um I felt annoyed mm. and mad about it and I felt misunderstood. But I never really felt threatened. Um, and, I, like, I have gotten, like, the rare, very rare threat. Um, but I don't think that most threats are actual threats. Like, mm -hmm. maybe I'm being a little cavalier about it. But Seattle is the kind of place where, and I, I've said this a million times, but someone is more likely, if they see me walking down the street, they're more likely to dive into the bushes to get away with, to get away from me than to call me a turf to my face. Mm -hmm. It's happened on really rare occasions where somebody will, like, confront me in person. But for the most part, they don't. What I get is, like, it, I don't live in Seattle anymore, so I don't even, mm -hmm. and I haven't, I've been there like three times since March, so it, it's like really not even a part of my life anymore. But every once in a while, like I would be out to a brunt spot and my wife would be like, there's a table of queer people over there who are staring daggers at you. And I was like, mm -hmm. what, really? Wait, where? Where? I can't tell. I'm stoned. What are you talking about? I don't <laughs> care. So I just like, I, I happen to have a... um my personality or my like level of a uh, of, of observation of the the world around me is is um poor enough so that i don't gen generally like notice when people are staring daggers into me from across the room i mean it, it sucked it's it still sucks it's not fun to be hated that said this has been good for my career mm -hmm. and that's sort of the ironic thing about cancellation there are people who are really canceled and who cannot get work and who don't deserve it and it's really fucked up and unfair in my case i became way nobody had heard of me before this piece came out mm -hmm. and nobody would have heard of me had there not been a backlash so the stickers the burning of the of the papers uh the flyers all of it all it did was make my platform bigger Every time somebody has deplatformed me, every time somebody has has tried to silence me, all it has done is serve me, and that is not the case for lots of people. I'm super mm -hmm. lucky, um, but you know, it, it like it's it's ironic, and it's also I I feel like if if these people who hate me were smarter, they would realize this. And they would change their tactics. And if they really wanted me to shut the fuck up, what they would do is stop elevating me stop mm -hmm. putting up stickers stop putting up flyers stop talking about me i have an um, alternate and instead they did the opposite idea did you print the stickers <laughs> <laughs> you know the font the font on the stickers is so embarrassing that i would i did not print, what was I the font for the stickers it, they have there's a fun well there's like four different versions of the sticker but if you look at them it's like it's like a i don't know hellevaca or whatever they are and there's <laughs> there's one sticker that that's actually got a picture of my face and they chose a really cute picture <laughs> Like, why would you do that? Come on, I look great. Um, so, I, so you know, I appreciate the activists, but also, like, it's not fucking working. They're like your street team. <laughs> yes, they are my street team. I, you know, I'd pay them if I knew who they were. <laughs> that's Well, that's the thing. Uh, and uh, there's, you know, 1,100 comedy podcasts talking about cancel culture as we speak right sure. now. So, it, yeah. uh, but... The thing about cancel culture is there are like examples of people that you know because those people either benefited from being canceled 
or were already wealthy and right. did fine. And then there's hundreds or thousands of people who that's not the case for, right? Like that's the yes. argument against it. I mean, that's the people you should really be worried about mm -hmm. are the people who don't, you know, make $20,000 a month on their podcast. It's the people who who get fired from a job for some perceived mistake or a misstep mm -hmm. and are and like we live in a country where if you don't have a job, it's incredibly hard to get health insurance where you can't like even if you're a freelancer, it's impossible to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. You know, we just like we don't live in a society that has a strong enough so social safety net to protect people who have been accused from some sort of wrongdoing. And sometimes the wrongdoing is legitimate, but oftentimes it's really not. Mm -hmm. um, there was Yasha Monk wrote a piece for The Atlantic about a guy who was a, he was, I believe he was an immigrant from maybe Honduras. And he was like, he was a, um, I believe he worked for a city somewhere in California, like a utility company or whatever. And he was driving along and he had his hand sort of like hanging out of a truck and he, making the OK symbol, which, of course, has been apparently, according to the Internet, according to media, co-opted by the alt-right. Mm -hmm. Somebody took a picture of it, uh, like tweeted it out, tagged his boss, and he got fired from his job. Like this is a working class man with a family, a family right. to provide for. And that's really like cancel culture has been good for me. It's mm -hmm. been terrible for people like that. Yeah, you um, want a platform. That guy might not yeah. want a platform. Most people don't. And even if you wanted a platform, like, or like the guy who, uh, who went viral club a couple weeks ago for like skateboarding while drinking cranberry juice to a, to a Fleetwood Mac video. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as I saw this video, I thought like, okay, how long is it going to be until we get some, some other videos going to emerge of this guy saying the N word a week later, somebody's <laughs> find some video of him singing along to like juicy by Biggie Smalls or something like that. Um, you know, and there's an attempt to cancel him. I, I don't think it actually worked in this case. I, I hope that it didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, those are like, that's the issue with can it's actually, that's part of the issue with cancel culture is, is, the effect on actual working class people and your mm -hmm. ability to make a living, your ability to have a job and to provide for your family. But there are other impacts like for people in academia, there are some fields of study that are now so radioactive that you can't touch them, which mm -hmm. means that things aren't being studied. Um, art, media, it really is very government. It's very pervasive. I mean, even science to a degree, right? Science. Absolutely. And this is not so like, I mean, this is the thing about like people who pretend that cancel culture doesn't exist. They'll hold up somebody like J.K. Rowling and say mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, she's a billionaire. You know, this cancel culture doesn't exist, blah, 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 blah. It's not about her. It's not about me. It's about people who can't do their work. It's about scientists. It's about artists. It's about working class people who cannot do their work, who cannot make a living, who cannot think the thoughts that they have or say what they believe out of this fear that it will come back and haunt them. Mm -hmm. I have this hypothesis about what makes a person like you or like what makes a rational person or one of the possible ways to make a rational person. Mental or, illness. What's that? Mental illness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have this uh, – you grew up in North Carolina. By the way, because you were a freelance writer before all this, there's no, like – you're on the the Stranger Wikipedia page. You have no mm -hmm. Wikipedia page. How can you Thank be canceled God. with no Wikipedia page? Thank God. Thank God. Um, But 
you grew up in North Carolina. I so my dad is a conservative. Um, huh. My mom is a liberal. My my uh, uh, I think my two sides of the family are conservative and liberal. Um, and but they're all mostly like more than anything, they're just like apolitical. We never talked about politics growing up, but I knew that my dad was a conservative and my mom was a liberal. Liberal. So in my life, I've had to love liberals Both, and yeah. conservatives, right? So there's like this dehumanizing language that I hear, I mean, on both sides of the, the political aisle, I happen to, I find myself arguing against liberal issues more because I'm around liberals more, right? And so I sure. I probably agree with them more than conservatives, but when I hear right. bullshit from people in in real life, it's mostly liberals because I'm around liberals a lot more often. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly how I am. Yeah, so like I, the, people will say like, oh, he's a conservative, he's a Trump supporter. He's, I'm not either, either of those things, by the way. I'm, I'm saying that about, they say that about other people as a way of just going like, we can completely ignore his opinion on anything else uh, because he is a Trump supporter. Or even like, I know, like I was, I got to tell you, in 2017, my I found out my dad didn't vote for Trump. And it's like the first time as an adult I've been like, oh, that guy's all right. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, we've had, you know, our struggles, whatever. And I was like, oh, this, like, to me, I was like, this dude is just a, like, a staunch conservative blindly following it. That's what I thought. And then he's like, I'm not voting for that piece of shit. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you actually have a nuanced political opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, there's certain things, like your your article where maybe you take this this small segment of people and use them as the face of something that's also being done with COVID, right? Where they're like, sure. they're like 19 year olds, a 19 year old died. And, and that's, it's tragic and it's horrible, but it was a 19 year old died. Right. And there's, you know, there, there's like a bunch of, we have to ignore this other data because it doesn't fit the, like, well, our I mean, side. you could like, I think in, in, in even sort of more powerful example is the, the, the shooting or the deaths of unarmed black men yes. by the hands of police You're in my which are actually now. incredibly rare. Mm -hmm. I think in last year it was, uh, I think it was, I think 15 last year. There's a, like, there's a data, the Washington Post it was it's a database. Yeah. The Washington okay. Post so there were, amazing. there were like, so the, I think this, this has moved up a little bit because they were like only counting, uh, unarmed black men who were shot. So if you count all unarmed black people who were killed by police gotcha. in 2019, I think, and I might be wrong about this, but I think the number is 15. And there are hundreds of millions of police encounters every year. Mm -hmm. There are 330-something million people in the United States. Incredibly rare. But you very, very rarely hear or see the media put that into context. Mm -hmm. they, they, when they're talking about the death of George Floyd, which is obviously fucked up and tragic and shouldn't have happened, um, they don't say he is one of 15. They say he is one of a, you know, a, an endless number of, of black men who've, killed by, who've been killed by unarmed black men who've been killed by police and there are obviously massive consequences to that mm -hmm. um you know and not to say that the blm protests are entirely about um about police killings they're about police brutality and systemic racism and other other issues that are like legitimate issues mm -hmm. but i think if you ask the average you know protester who shows up at a blm rally how many how many unarmed black men were killed by cops last year? They're not going to say 15. Yeah. Well, I saw a thing today where a guy was like, they're killing us daily. 
Uh, and they're and not. I, and but this is this is kind of my I've I've had to like first off as a as a straight white dude I'm not entering that conversation right like there's yes, nobody wants smart. to hear from me in that conversation, uh, but. I also think there's like a real like first off the justice system fucks black people at every stage. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's not like it's yes, I, I and I, I think I agree with you that uh, un- the shootings or killings of unarmed black men are a poor indicator for the overall scope of racial inequality in this country. Um, but one thing that I think is unarguable is there's like you know whatever fifteen you say fifteen. Uh, there's roughly twice as many uh, killings right. of white people. There's also six times as many white people. So it's like you're three times as likely as a black person. But it's still like there's no way the the infinitesimal probability of being one of these people of either race are like our human brains can't deduce the difference between those two probabilities. Like we can't feel that but what we can uh react to is the reporting by the media totally on these two things and there's like you know there's just exponentially more reporting when a black man is shot and killed okay so there was a a white man was killed by cops in so in port orchard by like bremerton uh pd in port orchard like two months ago i i've even forgotten his name by now and i like who cares about him? He's white. Fuck him. Yeah. Okay. So Seattle kidding, Times, like Seattle Times, did like posted or uh, like two AP blurbs about this. Like one when he was killed, and one when the report came back that he was un- unarmed. They didn't send. This is 15 miles from downtown Seattle, and they mm-hmm. didn't send a fucking reporter out here. If this if this had been a black man, there would have been riots. Would have been riots. Mm-hmm. And the, like the media just. It, like no, like the like the Kitsap uh, Daily Paper or whatever it's called, like they covered it. Nobody else covered it. Right. Didn't fucking make any waves. Yeah. And so there is, it is understandable that Americans have this skewed perspective on police violence, which mm-hmm. is really unfortunate because if we thought of police violence as something that affected all races, which it actually does, more like white and Hispanic and Native American and Black than Asian. But it affects all races. If we consider this, and mostly men, mostly poor people, oftentimes people with mental illness, then you could enact policies. You could mm-hmm. get more public support and enact policies that actually address the problem. For sure. Because the problem cannot be solved by implicit bias training. Mm-hmm. I agree. It can't. It can't. And Robin so, D'Angelo is not going to solve this problem. It is not going to solve this problem. You know, and I understand, like, like so I, I spend a lot of time in the woods. Do you remember, like, two years ago, um, there was a, a, a biker who was killed in, um, in like, Issaquah by a cougar? Oh, yeah. Right? So this, this is incredibly rare. There have been, like, 100 people in the United States killed by cougars in the last century. It's incredibly rare. Or no, I think, like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I misstated that. There's been, like, 25 people killed in the United States by cougars in the last century, right? Mm-hmm. Incredibly rare. I 
I like perseverate on cougars. I worry about cougars. I bring, uh, I bring mace. I bring a whistle. I carry a baseball with me when I go hiking because I have this like utter paranoia about fetch? running into a cougar. Right? It's probably <laughs> never going to happen. I say this. I was actually in uh, in Eastern Washington last weekend, and I actually saw a cougar in a like residential neighborhood. Did not come for me, but I saw a cougar. Anyway, it's incredibly rare. I'm not going to get killed by a cougar, but I or COVID. But we still have these these uh, these fears based on the media response to yeah. these rare events, and it's completely understandable. But it's not rational. Well, and I, my, my my I think my uh, like there's a million ways that uh, that black people are are set back by society. But I think one of the ways is having to grow up with people telling you you're being hunted. I think you're right. I think you're totally right. And I think the same thing is true of trans people. It really bothers mm -hmm. me when politicians in particular repeat this narrative that the average life expectancy of a trans woman is 35. This is something that people say all the time. It's not true. It's based on really, really flawed studies, um, not even studies about the United States. It's not true. But, you know, I can imagine that if I were black or if I were a trans person or, you know, being a woman and oftentimes the narrative that you get is every time you leave your house, you're going to get attacked. It's not true, but that's still the narrative that you absorb. It has an impact on you. It makes mm -hmm. you feel unsafe, even if the world is actually more safe than it's ever been, which accepting 2020 is actually true. Well, yeah, that's that's uh, that's another thing that I'll bring up is like when I people it's like a such such a common theme among people. They're like, you just can't, you know, when you were a kid, when my, my mom will be like, when you were a kid, we used to let you ride your bike mm -hmm. and now it's like i i just can't even imagine letting a kid uh ride the bike and it's like well you were crazy to let me do that in the 90s because it was Wait, way so, worse so, than the 90s. so you have so, do you have one kid how many kids do you have just one yeah how old she is 14 months a year and two months okay so not old enough to ride a bike yet no um, but but what when she's when she's older you don't think that you'll be comfortable like letting her ride her bike or going up the street to the neighbor's house or I mean even it, though even though you actually know this I I presume you know the statistics about how like rare, you know, child abduction is and like Sure, sure. So yeah. it, I guess it would it's kind of like uh, it's dependent on some factors. We live in a very urban part of Tacoma, so okay. there's a lot of traffic. So like that is yeah. a thing. That's not a yeah. that's not a violent crime problem. Sure. Which is I'm not really I'm like I'm I'm not trying to sidestep your question. I think that I can go like I've thought about this a lot because of the fact that I'm 34 um, and she's one and change, and when she gets to school, she's going to be making friends with kids whose parents are like 19, 18 right now, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't like those people. Um, and yeah. I'm going to have to interact. It's like it's very possible that I'm going to be having like a 21 year old over to my house so that they can meet my, you know, that our kids you're probably can be there. You're probably their parents age. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> that and, and so I think about that and then I'm like, I'm going to trust my daughter. I'm going to trust these people to watch my daughter. Are yeah. you fucking kidding yeah. me? Well, I mean, but think about it. I mean, like, OK, so first of all, like. Teenagers babysit. I mean, I mm. wouldn't say, like, give your daughter away to a 19-year-old, but teenagers <laughs> do babysit. 12-year-olds yeah, babysit. And there, so I would say, like, if you are – so I'm not a parent. I love giving parents advice because I'm not a parent. 
I think that you should look into the free range parenting movement, which like look at okay. Reason Magazine, um, Reason like Libertarian Magazine, which it like shocks me that I would uh, like that I have come to a point in my life where I, re <laughs> I regularly recommend Reason Magazine. But Re Reason Magazine is very good. So they have a writer named Lenora Skazinski, and she uh, formed a nonprofit called it's called Free Range Kids, and it's all about sort of. Um, training parents to to be less um less like helicopter parents mm -hmm. around their children because the reality is like traffic is something that i would like certainly be worried about if i lived on a busy street but the reality is like your daughter is not going to get scooped up by a yeah you know, by yeah. a molester yeah i definitely like i think that i can intellectualize the improbability of her being but when it's your kid yeah, it's different. I mean, it's 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 also like it's different when you go, you know, it's like people say like, well, some people are going to die from COVID. And it's like, OK, what about sure. your family? Will you let your family die? Sure. Would you be sure. willing to die so that sure. I can go see a movie? Like, uh, sure. and I mean, I still want to see a movie like I'm not. A, yeah. <laughs> but but I like depends you, on the movie, you know. Yeah. But you got to understand the like the what you're asking someone else, the sacrifice you're asking someone else to do. You're not personalizing for yourself at all. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. We've talked a lot about a uh, trans uh, controversy, and uh, recently, this is a really this is a hard a hard segue. But Dory Monson, uh, oh yes, long time, <laughs> long time Seahawks voice. I'm a big sports fan, by the way. I'm sorry if the, I'm glad I got this far in. I have enough to release the podcast if you hang up on me right now. But, <laughs> uh, Dory Monson got. Canceled, and I w I'm going to say I'm going to give you my opinion, and then you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Uh, I will forgive the most heinous things that comedians say on stage as a joke, because it's a joke. Uh, because I believe that comedians should be allowed to tell jokes because that's their job. Uh, Dory Monson is a political commentator, and I don't think that one. I I actually like. Uh, are you familiar with the Ari Shafir, Kobe Bryant tweet situation or uh, like no. Instagram? Okay, so. When Kobe Bryant died, Ari Shafir, his, like, shtick on social media is to go and celebrate a person's death. Like, say the worst <laughs> things about them. Uh, whether that, no matter if he loves them, like, he loves Tom Petty, and he said, like... That's funny. It's hilarious. And he said horrible things about Tom Petty. He also did it about uh, Kenny Rogers. Uh, oh, my God. I, I hope I'm successful enough when I die that he'll do this for me. <laughs> uh, that gives me some goals. So so Kobe, he died. And uh, and by the way, like I, I literally saw it, the video in between when Kobe, when we knew Kobe was dead and when we knew his daughter was dead. So I know that he uh -huh. didn't know that his daughter was dead. And he basically, you know, he was laughing and calling him a rapist and all the, you know, the stuff that you would do if you were going to roast Kobe unfortunately right. post or posthumously but uh he got like you know death threats he had a special schedule that he was going to film he had to cancel that uh he was like performing under an alias for a while like wow. wild stuff and so for me i think he's very funny and also he's a comedian yeah so like you could assume like people people kept saying like oh there's no joke there and no the, and i'm like no the joke is that it's the least appropriate thing you could say in that moment. That's the funny part. And maybe it's not funny to you, but it is a joke. Thory Monson's thing, I don't even think that's a joke. I don't I actually don't have it handy, but 
he wrote Okay, so we should we should say what so what Dory so Dory was like live tweeting the governor's debate between mm-hmm. Jay Inslee and Lauren Culp. And Jay in I didn't watch the debate, but Jay was like going on and on about like follow the science, about probably COVID and climate change. Yeah. And Dory tweeted something like I, and I'm paraphrasing here, like, follow the science, you can go down to Olympia, or I could go down to Olympia and say that I was a girl born on, like, 6, 17, 61 or whatever. It was uh, October so, 2nd, because I, I I made a tweet about it, because it was like I, uh, it's so close to his own birthday. That day was so close to his own birthday. Was it not his actual birthday? I assume it, it was, was uh, No, he, he said it on the 7th, and it was, uh, my tweet was, uh, this is a really bad way to tell people you had a birthday recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good tweet yeah good it was tweet. uh october 2nd was his birthday by the yeah. way real quick uh before i forget your anniversary is october 10th well no my anniversary is like sometime in november well it's like we got married in march anniversary sometime in november but we took like an early anniversary trip. oh wow but thank never you. mind i uh it was yeah. um I was going to say, you posted something October 10th. I did. Our I did. fifth anniversary, my wife and my fifth anniversary was October 11th. But oh, now wow. it means oh, nothing wow. because you don't even, that's not even your actual anniversary. But we can get back yeah, to Dory Monson if you like. Uh, time, you know, time is a construct. Um, so Dory, <laughs> so after that tweet, Dory was suspended by the Seahawks doing like color commentary before. I guess during the game. I don't know. I never listened to a Seahawks. I think he does post game. So. He definitely isn't on during okay. the game. Okay. Um, and then he was suspended by Cairo Radio, which is like, I find the whole thing very funny because the two, like, historically, like, least woke organizations in Seattle would be like the NFL and conservative Cairo Radio, which is owned by a Mormon family based in Utah. Mm-hmm. It, the whole thing is just like incredibly funny that the fucking NFL, and I tweeted this, but like, like, all right, so I'm 37, not that old. When I was in high school, the football team was known for a couple of things, like bashing gay people, date rape, brain trauma, and like mm-hmm. beating up your girlfriend, you know, like, and then now the like football being woke and then like Kyra radio, it's like the, they play Rush Limbaugh, you know what I mean? I actually don't know <laughs> if they actually play Rush Limbaugh, but they probably do. Um, so I found it sort of just um, like an amazing uh, symbol of where we are in society right now. I don't think that Dory's tweet was directed at like was to like to make fun of trans people i think that his tweet was making fun of jay Inslee. Mm-hmm. um that said it was a fucking dumb thing to do because it's 2020 and you can't make jokes like that so he shouldn't have done it you know the seahawks and Cairo radio these are private companies they are well within their rights to suspend him or mm-hmm. fire him i will be sort of shocked if Cairo actually fire story because i think he's a huge huge money maker for them and i think ultimately they're gonna side with the money maker um he shouldn't have done it not because it wasn't a little bit funny or true not that funny true not that funny but <laughs> because it was a it, like he just put himself he shot himself in the foot Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Dory and I agree on very little politically. I was actually on his show talking about how I think the, that, that I think, um, professional football needs to be abolished, um, like a year ago. So Dory and I agree on very little, <laughs> but he, I like, I, and, and maybe he's like genuinely transphobic. I have no idea. We've never talked about it, but I do think that like the whole thing is, you know, 
I feel bad for him, but I also think the whole thing is sort of hilarious because, like, our moral paragons now are, like, conservative radio in the NFL. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, I mean, I I guess my thing is, like, he's supposed to be a conduit um, of, like, the government to the people. Or not even the government to the people. I don't even know what I'm saying. He's supposed to – he should be more responsible than that, I think. He's, he's well, I mean, bordering he's like, on a journalist. He... Like, okay, so right after COVID started and people in it, like now it's everybody wears a mask going out. It's not just the law or the policy or whatever, but it's also just like it's socially it's not acceptable to go out. Mm -hmm. You can like walk around your neighborhood or whatever, but if you're walking into a Walmart, like you wear a mask. And right after COVID started, of course, this wasn't the case. And uh, I went to my wife bought like found somebody on Craigslist she wanted to like buy a shelf from. So we went to this guy's house and we were wearing masks, not because we are like particularly worried about giving COVID, but we are like being respectful. Mm -hmm. And he, we like walked up to his house wearing the mask, and he we like bought the shit from him. And then he like points to the mask and he says like, uh, "I heard about he's what did he say." He said something like, I heard about that shit on Dory. And then he started laughing. Um, and I had a conversation with Dory about it because my uh, sort of takeaway from that experience with this guy, her Dory sort of disparaging mass culture. Um, and his response to that was to say, like, fuck you, I'm not wearing a mask. So mm -hmm. I think that's actually way more problematic than what he said about, like, about Jay. It's way more actually damaging, for sure. Right, right. I so, mean, assuming that masks actually make a difference, which, well, who knows? Who knows what's true these days? <laughs> I still wear one, but do I actually know? Nah, absolutely not. So he does seem like a guy who has the kind of... So uh, another example of a, a local radio guy that got uh, suspended indefinitely on his way to termination was uh, Mitch Levy um, on KJRAM, who's like an institution in Seattle. I don't, I haven't listened to sports radio in years, but I grew up like, and uh, I grew up listening to him and he started a podcast and probably maybe he didn't make as much money immediately, but like it has a very successful podcast. Also, uh, I imagine. Mass, I mean, he got, did you follow that saga? The, what did you say? Sorry. The Cliff Mass thing. Oh yeah, a little bit. That's actually that's probably a more like forgivable. So so Mitch Levy was uh, was caught in a prostitution sting. Oh, I don't think he should lose his job for that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think they tried to run like a tra uh, human trafficking angle or whatever. Uh -huh. Um, I bet I bet they didn't charge this, whatever. I don't know anything about this case, but I bet they didn't charge a single person with human trafficking. Yeah, I think that's just like the way that they justified. Yes. Um, right. and I'm sure he was making a lot of money, and they were going to lose sponsorship over it, right? Like that's these are all these are all true things, whether we think they're right, right. or wrong. Uh, that's those are true things. But he also, like, he bounced back. He's doing, I think he's probably doing fine. Uh, Katie Herzog is doing fine. I think Dory yeah. Monson, if he gets I let mean, go, is going to do fine. Do you ever read Andrew Sullivan? I don't. I've, uh, I, I'm aware of Andrew Sullivan, but I don't okay. read him. So Andrew Sullivan got fired from New York Magazine, uh, where he was a columnist for, like, four or five years. Before that, he was at The Atlantic. He's been a bunch of places. Um, you know, public intellectual, he's British, he's gay, he's conservative, but he's a never Trump conservative. So he was fired from New York Magazine. He started a, a Substack newsletter and he is the last I heard he was making $750,000 a year on wow. the news. And this was months ago that I heard this. And this was before they instituted a paywall. So the dude has probably tripled his salary 
to write one column a week with wow. no like with no like shitty coworkers to deal with. I mean, I'm making twice as much money as I did at The Stranger. I work literally four hours a week, mm-hmm. four hours a week, and I make twice as much money as I did. There are like real benefits to to you know this like brand of cancellation or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, I've had this. I've had this uh, in comedy. Thinking about comedy while I can't do it a lot, I'm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had this kind of revelation that uh, nobody like. It's easier to make a fan base just like getting te- having a ten percent approval rating actually builds a fan base faster, right? Because those ten percent really dig what you're saying because it's hard. Yeah, and it's not just about. I mean, like I can. I don't like track our numbers or whatever, but my co-host Jesse Single does. And so we have uh, we have like 3000 something patrons who, you know, provide our entire um, income and only like a half of them actually listen to the extra like Patreon only episodes. Yeah, I think a lot of people just want to give us money. Oh, because cool. they like us and they want to and they say like fuck the new york times fuck kuw fuck whatever fuck the stranger i'm gonna give you money because i like you mm-hmm. um which is sort of weird because we're making content for like basically nobody <laughs> with our patreon only episodes um but like it's also sort of um i don't know it's it's encouraging in ways people will give you money just because they want to see you succeed yeah so i actually i'm not a public radio listener generally either i listen to like public radio podcasts so i was not mm-hmm. even aware cliff mass existed mm-hmm. until you started tweeting about him mm-hmm. uh and i now am a subscriber to cliff mass's podcast awesome, awesome. i uh, i made it there i'm a patron of blocked and reported cool. Uh, cool. but, so Cliff Mass's thing is first off, is Cliff Mass even a conservative? Um, so Cliff Mass, he is not conservative. He he's conservative maybe compared to like the Seattle City Council. He was right. a Hillary Clinton voter in twenty sixteen. I have no idea who he's voting for in twenty twenty. Um but so he was a oh just for your for your audience, he was a, a weather forecaster, very popular um, at KNKX, which is a local public radio station. He's also a, he, he's a professor of atmosph- atmospherology. Atmosph- he's a professor of like, oh, meteorology mm. at, um, at UW. And it's a long, his like whole history is a long story. I have a podcast, like my podcast, an entire episode about it. If people are, are more interested in sort of the, the dirty details. Um, but in maybe July, Cliff wrote a blog post about he basically he went to downtown Seattle. He walked around and he saw all these boarded up storefronts, um, part of which had to do with COVID and part of which had to do with the protests. And I, I think he neglected to mention the like COVID angle. But he, he went and walked around downtown Seattle and he wrote this blog post comparing what he saw to Kristallnacht. Um, and I think it's it's like important to point out that he's jewish so this wasn't a white guy sort of making this offensive comparison but the comparison was so offensive to a number of k and kx donors and like online commentators that cliff Mm -hmm. got fired and kind of the interesting about interesting thing about this is that uh cliff so k and kx had there been cliff has been he's been sort of in the shit for years for various reasons but one of the things that he's done to piss off people is that he is not a climate change uh, what's alarmist. The word? He's not alarmist, right? Mm-hmm. So he he believes in climate change. Obviously, he's a scientist, but he 
doesn't think that the world's going to end in 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't particularly think that the Pacific Northwest is going to be all that negatively impacted by climate change um, based on like snowpack in the North Cascades and things like that. So this is a really unpopular position among environmental activists and climate change, change activists. Um, so KNKX, like two months before he was fired, hired the former public editor of NPR to investigate him. And this woman did an incredibly thorough job. Like she got like scientists away in. She went through his blog. She talked to his supporters. She talked to his detractors. And the conclusion that she came to was basically like uh, Cliff, like his, his or the one. Here, I'm going to start this over. So this is a little bit easier to edit. I'm going to snap. So it's a. Uh, so the, the conclusion that she came to was that the one thing that K and KX could do was like take the link of Cliff's blog off of their own website, but it wasn't that Cliff had particularly done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So K and KX, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that K and KX spent a hundred thousand dollars on this investigation. Wow. The investigation reveals basically nothing. Two months later, there's this like cancel culture campaign on social media. They axed the guy, and now he's on Patreon. I don't know how his Patreon is doing right now, but I anticipate that it's going to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he won't have to deal with sort of the bullshit of working within, uh, you know, within that institution. Yeah, that's and, – and to me, that's like at, – to me, at worst, he's wrong, right? Like about the his sure. comparisons of downtown Seattle. Like at worst, he's wrong. But it's hard for me to go – it's – this is actually – I've been calling uh, – I've been calling the like left – and the popular slash far left, or at least Seattle's left, the I call them the new Puritans, because there's like this purity test that everyone has to pass, and uh, this is this is the example that I give often is a couple of years ago Richard Spencer got punched, and then there was like this social media hashtag about punching Nazis, and I like when I saw it, my initial reaction was like Richard Spencer, fine. You want to punch Richard Spencer, not a bad example if you're looking for a Nazi. Uh, but we should be really careful about who we call a Nazi because that word yeah. is supposed to mean something right. really serious. And if we start right. using it as bullshit, if we start calling Cliff Mass a Nazi, we start right. calling Katie Herzog a Nazi because they have, like you guys, like you specifically are probably 98% as liberal as every person who's calling you a Nazi. Sure. Uh, so that because you differ slightly, that's, I, I was a uh, very young atheist at like seven mm-hmm. years old. I realized I was an atheist because specifically Jewish people couldn't go to heaven. That didn't make any sense to me. Right. right. And so I was like, well, this can't be, Well, have you met, have you ever met any, <laughs> any, any Jewish people or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, an anti-Semitic joke. Please, I, <laughs> I, um, uh, that I have my, uh, my buddy that listens religiously and he's a big fan of yours also is Jewish and he's going to be very excited to hear you <laughs> make an anti-Semitic joke. Uh, you know, I have a Jewish co-host, so I feel like I can make Jewish Yeah, hey, I'm with it. I, again, I, I'm, I'm with jokes from people whose job it is to make jokes. Uh, <laughs> Um, I was an, a, an atheist from a very young age and then I've, I'm like past it now. I'm like not militant about it. I don't care anymore. In fact, I'm 34 with a kid and a wife and a house and a dog. Like my life looks yeah. a lot more like my Christian friend's life yes. than my atheist friend's lives. Uh, yes. so, 
Um, what I realized, though, is that people, if I would have told people I was Jewish, Christians, I was Jewish, or I was uh, Muslim, they wouldn't have uh, ever tried to convert me to Christianity. But when they find out you're an atheist, they view you as like a free agent. And mm-hmm. it's so frustrating for them to not for you to not have a religion. You could have the wrong religion, that's okay. But having no religion, you, we can't have that. And I find that that's the way that like moderates and even like I wouldn't consider you even a moderate. Do you consider yourself a moderate? Well, so I've stopped uh, like identifying with labels mm-hmm. politically. So in terms of how I vote, it it really depends. I voted for I like made this uh, admission on on Twitter the other day. I, I came out on on National Coming Out Day as a Joe Biden voter for the primary. So I voted for Joe Biden in the primary. Do I agree with Joe Biden's policies? Not really. I'm more aligned with Bernie Sanders politically, mm-hmm. but for me, I'm a single issue voter and that that issue is is getting Donald Trump out of office. Sure. And I thought at this point when Washington State voted, it was down to Bernie Sanders, who I supported in 2016, or Biden. And the momentum was with Biden. And I felt like Biden is better positioned to beat Trump than Sanders. Sure. So it was like a completely strategic vote. So I'm moderate in the sense that I voted for Joe Biden. Um, in terms of what like my ideal version of the United States is much more you know, democratic socialists in the, you know, in the form of, in the form of Finland, um, a place like that. So I guess I'm, I'm probably not moderate by the, you know, the standards of most Americans. Right. So that's, that's like, uh, I have for several years, I have been striving for, uh, intellectual freedom from, those kinds of labels like i agree with you like so and i actually think like while it frustrates people and i've seen people say this is the most insane thing i've seen people say is that moderates are worse than trump supporters which is what oh my god it gives me that like it it like it's that's like memory of people being frustrated that i had no religion right uh the idea that moderates are worse than trump supporters to a liberal is insane to me and i also think that just devoting yourself to one party is not beneficial. No, it's not. In fact, like when and and it's it's funny because we do this where we go like uh you have to listen to on black issues, you have to listen to black women on on mm-hmm. black issues. And then it's like Yeah, black women who who elected fucking Joe Biden. Right. Well, and also well, one, yes, but two it's like and then and by the way, I think she's nuts, but like Candace Owens and they're like not that black woman. Yeah. Like get the, right. get that that right. lady the fuck out of here. Yeah, I think she's crazy. I think she's ignorant. But like Basically, your rules are you have to agree with us, and we're going to change the reasons why you have to agree with us depending on the circumstance. And I actually think, like, I I do – there is, like, um, not a significant enough to sway the election, I don't think, but I believe there are more black people identifying as conservative in 2020 as uh, than there were in 2016. And even though I I would like it if black people continued to vote for Democrats – I don't know if they're if if black issues are going to be served by that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, people should have to work for your vote is is my point. Better situated to to sort of deal with with these issues. I have concerns about sort of the like far 
left critical theory being like ushered into the government under Joe Biden. Joe Biden isn't woke, but he is sort of sleepy. Um, and I, I do have concerns about who he's going to appoint to his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's complicated. I've spent the last couple of years really listening to people who I don't agree with. And I think it's served me really well. Um, and it, you know, and I've, I've learned a lot. Like for instance, I've learned that not all conservatives are like dumb pieces of shit, Mm -hmm. you know, which is not something I ever would have, like, I just didn't, I believed that for most of my life as Mm -hmm. a child and as an adult. I believe that. I really believe that. Um, Conservatives were either stupid or they were evil. Um, And I don't believe that anymore. And uh, I think that has given me a, a, like, broader perspective of of what this country is like. Um, Yeah. That's actually, you said evil, and I brought up uh, dehumanizing language earlier, and I think that that's one of the things. I almost don't believe in evil at all. Like, I think evil is much more rare than we give it credit for. Mm. Because if you call someone evil, again, you don't have to, like, think of their viewpoint empathetically. And, uh, well, it's the, it's like the ultimate dehumanizing. Right. It makes it okay to discriminate against them. Right. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. We should end on a, f- a more fun note than any of this, I think. You have a dog. What kind of dog do you have? I have, yeah, thank you. It was I wanted to talk dogs also. I have a uh sh- this is I have a joke that I do on stage about it. I'm going to do it for you cuz I am okay. uh, deprived of live audiences. Uh I have a uh a uh border collie mix. She's like uh-huh. one of those like hybrid breeds with a fancy name. Yeah. They call her a uh pitbull. <laughs> uh, okay that, that's funny i laughed yeah thank you uh but even if it's just for courtesy i fucking needed it i've been <laughs> no, so I, deprived I, of I, that was a genuine laugh yeah uh she's a she's a pitbull mix she's a, they, they say border collie i don't know if she's a border collie we she came from texas uh, i rescued oh, yeah? a dog from texas katie so uh, she's racist yeah she is i actually this is like a kind of racist thought that i had when we got her is uh i was having a hard time getting her to like learn commands at the beginning and i started saying commands to her in spanish because she's from (laughs) san antonio didn't work but i was like maybe her past owners were spanish i have heard stories about that i actually just read a book about dogs and um this guy like goes across the country doing dog stuff meeting dog people and he like one of the people he meets gets a rescue and like cannot communicate with her dog until she starts speaking Spanish. Oh, that's funny. It was, I, that makes me feel a lot less racist. Cause I, uh, yeah. I, well, you're, you're a cis white man. So sorry. <laughs> it's, I'm already, Robin, I'm, gotta, I'm 75% of the way there anyway. You got to take a Robin D'Angelo training. Uh, you're, is your dog a poodle mix? Uh, no, my dog is a, yeah, he's a rescue. I rescued him from a very expensive breeder. He's a golden doodle. <laughs> Um, yeah. My yeah. So my wife is allergic, so we uh, had to get one of those hyper hypoallergenic dogs, which is the perfect excuse to get you know an expensive almost not pure breed because they're not like AKC registered, mm-hmm. but a perfect excuse to get a, a fancy dog. Um, and he's great. He's uh he's like incredibly well behaved and super sweet. And I am after years and years of bitching about people doing things like bringing their dogs into into grocery stores and bookstores and cafes, I am. Um, now so attached to him that I would almost do that if uh, if it came to it. I um my, my our neighbors when we moved to Tacoma the the woman that lived next door to us had a Labradoodle which is maybe the mm-hmm. lower class version that's like the, yes they're uh, lower class the, the less the not quite loaded version of a, a golden doodle um mm-hmm. no power windows or uh, power locks on this Labradoodle they're uh, more Trump supporters yeah. <laughs> they're the they're the uh 1975 pickup of of uh poodle mixed dogs uh 
They, uh, my my dog specifically, I don't know why, loves uh, poodle like labradoodles uh-huh. uh, and poodles. Period. I don't know what it, like. They're way more athletic than uh, they look usually. Yeah, and yeah. so they give her a run. Like she's so fast. Uh, yeah. uh, and labradoodles have more stamina and longer legs usually than she does, so they can really. Um, and they're mean and enough got- that they're like that she they like intimidate her a little bit, which is good. Um, yeah. That's uh. So can I ask you how much that dog cost? Because I I have a theory yeah. also. So he was. I think he was twelve hundred dollars. Okay, that's that makes me feel better because I when when we rescued a dog, we had to pay for like the flight. Yeah. Uh, the we there's a lot of shit that we paid for where I'm like we paid four hundred dollars out the gate. Yeah. So we actually looked at getting a rescue poodle, mm-hmm. it like through like Pet Finder or whatever, like an adult rescue. It was going to be a thousand dollars to get like a ten year old <laughs> dog flown up from Florida, and it's like, why the hell would I do that? I can get thirteen years out of this fresh one, and he's cuter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's I think there's like some scams going on with these rescue animals. I had a I had a real theory. We there was a dog. Uh, my dog's name is Laney after Elaine Bennis uh, on Seinfeld. Um, uh huh. But there was a dog, the first dog that my wife agreed that we could, uh, we could, my wife's never had a dog before until this dog. And, um, the first dog she agreed that we could go see with the intention of actually bringing the dog home was named Huckleberry. And, uh, she was at the shelter when we got to the shelter, they had said, yeah, come see Huckleberry, whatever we got there. Huckleberry's mysteriously gone. And there's all these ugly shitty dogs there. And I think they bait and switched us. I think they have taken a uh, Craigslist prostitute tack and bait and switched us with these ugly ads. They put a hot dog on the front of the ad and then they have all these ugly fucked up dogs in the back. And uh, I felt, I honestly, truly, I have no doubt that's what happened at this shelter. Like, Cancel the shelter. Yeah, let's cancel it. I'll say the name yeah. right now. Uh, no, I'm not going to, but uh, thank you. I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I really do. I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy... Your Twitter, uh, Kitty Perzog, is an easier. Oh, no, I don't. I can't let this go by. Uh, can we talk about cuties? <laughs> I haven't sure. talked about cuties on my podcast at all. Yeah, we can. I, I, oh, that's my favorite subject. I love talking about cuties. Did you old cuties, young cuties, all the cuties? <laughs> uh, <you laughs> so cuties is under uh, is under fire like uh, they're actually being uh charged with child pornography in texas I yeah i think i haven't really followed this very closely so when the movie came out and for your listeners so cuties is a movie that came out on netflix and a lot of people thought it was child pornography mm-hmm. um and they like assumed that without seeing it so like as soon as the scandal happened online i just started making like it was like a like a brain tumor like a virus like all i could do for like three weeks was make cuties jokes um strangely i did not get banned from twitter for that i did get banned from twitter for 12 hours for making a joke about mitch mcconnell dying um can you i remember the mitch mcconnell joke can you say it the joke was something like it was right after ruth bader ginsburg died and it was something like you know the best thing we can hope for at a time like that is that mitch mcconnell has a stroke from 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 laughing too hard and then people started complaining about it so i said something like i you guys like i don't want him to die i just want him to like be brain dead for a while or something like that. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was banned for 12 hours, which prevented me from making more cuties jokes. Um, it's a, yeah, there's been some like Ted Cruz and some like 
feds are like trying to like get netflix investigated for making for like this french movie that they actually had nothing to do with um mm-hmm. yeah we have a, a an entire podcast about it that i would recommend people listen to did you ever watch it i did watch it yeah and is it porn no, it's not porn. I mean, it's it's no more. It's it's definitely like sexual in parts that are like in a way that's uncomfortable. But in terms of like, there's no nudity, there's no sex, um, and they're not even like like they're dressed the way that girls like girls would be dressed at like cheerleader camp. It's definitely uncomfortable. But that's sort of the point of the movie is like it's a commentary on the sexualization of girls. So the whole thing was just like wild to un- to to like watch unfold with people just like calling for the cancellation of this movie that they hadn't seen. Um and for once it was sort of bipartisan, which was uh it was uplifting. <laughs> All right. I hope I hope you did enjoy that uh, conversation with Katie Herzog. You can follow her on Twitter at Kitty Perzog. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was a big get for me. I've had a, I've been very lucky in the last uh, several weeks to talk to people that I have a lot of admiration for, and Katie Herzog is one of those people. Um, boy, it is stressful in this country right now, huh? Huh? The uh, the president of this country may or may not have COVID. I actually think, I here's what I think. I think that he did have it. I think that he probably truly doesn't have it anymore. But what that means is that the, there's a very good chance that either this cocktail he was on that they have limited production of is great. Is It is the panacea. That's a word I've learned since this all started. It is the panacea cocktail. Or he was actually positive long before it was announced, which means that he uh, put everybody at the presidential debate at risk, which that's no good. <laughs> that's a controversial opinion. That's no good. Um. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a it's it's such a bizarre time. So the debate, the second debate is canceled, uh, not in the way not in the way that Katie Herzog is canceled, uh, not in that it's it's substantially more successful since being canceled. It is just it's just canceled, meaning it's not going to happen. And I don't know if if that means that I don't know if that helps Joe Biden or not. I've spent a lot of time, by the way defending 538 the website 538 because i think the average person does not understand probability and 538 said that donald trump had a 28 percent chance of winning the last election which means that something close to one out of every three simulations he was winning the election and he won the election. And now, 538 is saying that Joe Biden has an 87% chance of winning the election. Which, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the problem is, the problem is that this is actually, this is if you want to get into to my conspiratorial mind, where I think there's potential conspiracy, 
before the last election, I've talked about this on this podcast, but before the last election, there were so many people who are benefiting now, whose platform has been raised now, and who are who are substantially more famous as a direct result of Donald Trump being elected that were calling that were that were calling the election days in advance saying it would be a landslide that Hillary Clinton would win the 2016 election and i've always thought just from a game theory perspective I thought this listening to, I used to listen to the Keeping It 1600 podcast on the Ringer Network, which is, I believe it's John Favreau, who is now Pod Save America, I believe. I think that's the the person and the uh, successive podcast that that became. But I listened to him say that, we're going to wake up in the morning. We're going to have the first female president. Hillary Clinton is going to be president. Don't worry. It's going to be a blowout. He did the equivalent of starting his touchdown dance, spiking the football before he entered the end zone. And I don't know what the reach of that podcast was, but it wasn't nothing. And there were a lot of people talking like that. A lot of people who have benefited directly from Donald Trump being president. And I'm not saying they were trying to get Donald Trump elected, but I do think there is a little bit of a hedge in that. Like that can only work to suppress voter turnout among Democrats. And now if you want to get into like real hardcore conspiracy, I have a theory because I have not allowed myself to like really dig into the polling, but Biden's performing pretty well in a lot of the states and even by like Fox News polls. But again, Fox News is probably aware of the voter suppression caused by the glowing and happy reporting leading up to the 2016 election. So I don't trust the Fox News polls. I don't trust any of the polls right now. Uh, And I could see if you could if somebody needed to or wanted to put their thumb on the scale them going well let's suppress voter turnout by saying it's another blowout it's going to be another landslide uh we're going to or it's not going to be another landslide it's actually going to be a landslide this time so get out and vote i don't know i mean it's everyone says get out and vote all they mean is vote for the shit that i care about and this year i think I mean, I do think at some point in my life, I will probably vote for a non-democrat. A non-democrat. I almost did. Uh, oh, there was a great. There's this thing going on right now where where sometimes I will see somebody go like, "Oh, this person thought that they could school Noam Chomsky," and I'm like, "Well, Noam Chomsky is a smart guy. I'm probably going to agree with Noam Chomsky." And then I listen to the the excerpt what is that podcast called the bad faith podcast i listened to the excerpt of and i don't i don't know the two uh co-hosts names but they were talking to noam chomsky about how um every election we get sold this shit that it's the most important election and we're facing an existential crisis 
and every election groups remain underrepresented in policies uh and so i personally am gonna vote for joe biden that's it that's it if you were looking for the uh nobody likes casey mcclain endorsement it's joe biden uh i do think i think donald trump is bad and i think more than bad i think he has divided this country his rhetoric is worse than his policies is what i will say and we're fucked up right now this country is fucked up right now but i i I think at some point in my life, I'll vote for a non-Democrat and I'll be fine with it. If you listen to, by the way, if you're this far in, you heard me tell Katie Herzog, Katie Herzog, uh, Katie Herzog, my opinions on being a moderate, like it only benefit the threat of being a moderate can only benefit you. It can only serve to benefit a voting block, somebody needing to work for your vote. Um, I watched Dak Prescott break his ankle and it's upsetting. And I also don't understand why we need 45 replays of it. I've never, I can't do the bone breaking. It's my limitation as a, uh, as a feelingless man. I also, I think that this, this, there's a thing that happens when a player, this is the only time I think people identify with the players and not the ownership of a team is in a situation like this. And there's immediately tweets like Jerry Jones, you better take care of Dak Prescott. And there's no take care. First off. The risk is known. This risk was known. But it is it is nice to see people, I guess, siding with millionaires instead of billionaires on circumstances like this. I think Dak Prescott's gonna make a ton of money. If if the if the Cowboys let him walk, he's the best free agent quarterback short of maybe Peyton Manning and probably more sought after because he's young. The only comparison I can even think of, and it's under kind of similar circumstances is Drew Brees leaving the San Diego chargers when he ended up in new Orleans. And that was the same off season as Dante Culpepper. And yeah, I mean, I guess even that you're like, maybe Culpepper's actually might be a better example because he was coming off uh, serious injuries also. It's true of Breeze, too, though. I think Breeze had a shoulder thing. Anyway, Prescott's going to get... If his ankle is at all workable, if it's not a career-ender, he's not a guy that relied exclusively on athleticism. He's one of the league's most prolific passers, and I think he's going to get paid a lot of money. I would also hope his agent is smart enough to have taken out an insurance policy, by the way. But I digress. Let's get to these questions. Because uh, it's very important. All right. Here is 
Here are the questions. What is, this is from uh, Dad Thoughts One on Twitter from Salem, Oregon. What is your go-to quarantine activity to do without kids? Without. Well, let me tell you one of the challenges of quarantine. First off, I have one kid, one baby daughter. One of the challenges of quarantine is there is very little time without kids. It's also the blessing of quarantine. It's also the only good thing about quarantine, probably, is that I've gotten to spend so much time with my daughter, but it also it becomes, occasionally, you're like, I haven't had fucking alone time in seven months on a consistent basis. I was doing some backyard comedy. That seems to have dried up. Uh, I've, on occasion, I've had a friend over, and we've drank my front yard away from my daughter, but I'm not getting very far away from my daughter in quarantine. I'm willing to take suggestions, but even we go on family walks and stuff, but it's family. I take my dog on a walk on occasion alone, rarely alone, rarely alone. I don't know. I love my wife. I love my daughter. Uh, I think that my wife and I, when this is over, might have to spend uh, several weekends apart hanging out with our friends independent of each other or probably in my case uh, doing stand-up comedy away from each other because we've had a lot of time together fifth fifth wedding anniversary last weekend I love you my dear wife uh, 10 years together obviously this is the most time we've ever spent together but yeah, man, I don't know. There's just nothing. Nothing is the answer. I'd love suggestions. I don't think my wife is going to let me go hike and I do not have the hiking body type. And the next question, the last question of this week is from a rough and ready ranch, uh, at rough and R on Twitter. And he says, what do you think of, what are your thoughts on Tacoma FD, which is a show uh, by the Broken Lizard guys, the guys that brought you Super Troopers and Beer Fest, and they started a show called Tacoma FD. So first off, uh, good to put Tacoma on the map. I live in Tacoma. I love Tacoma. I think that it has much of the charm of Seattle without the impossible parking and insane home prices. And so thank you, I guess, for putting Tacoma on the map. I don't know. Everybody just knows that it stinks. That's pretty much, and it doesn't even stink anymore. Uh, but as I understand it, Tacoma FD is not filmed in Tacoma. I think they've done some promo and stuff here. But I, so, and I guess also I haven't watched it. Is it still on? Is Tacoma FD? Maybe this should be, uh, this should be like a Patreon watch along. Are there multiple seasons? It premiered. Oh my God. There's two seasons. Um, yeah, maybe that'd be a fun, like Patreon watch along thing. 
How many total episodes? And did it get canceled? I'd be much more willing to do a Patreon watch along if I knew that the show had been canceled. It was renewed for a third season. See, this is the problem with committing to something like that. And I'm by and I'm saying that I'm not committing to it because there was a show on FX called Anger Management. It was a Charlie Sheen show, and it was fucking horrific. But my wife and I watched like five episodes of it, and we go, this is going to get canceled soon. We're watching the whole thing. We're committed. And then what we didn't know is that it got picked up for like 100 episodes. I think it was 99. It got to 99 episodes. Anger Management, the show. And the crazy thing about it is, Say what you will about Charlie Sheen, and he's not great. Uh, also, HIV may be a racist. Like I, uh, I understand that. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> not absolving him or ignoring that. Yeah. So, so season one of Anger Management was ten episodes, June twenty eighth uh, to August twenty third, all of two thousand twelve. Season two of Anger Management. 90 episodes, 90 episodes, January 17th, 2013 to December 22nd, 2014. Insane. I think it was, I think it was to get it to, uh, syndication, but what an absolute insane schedule in 90 weeks, essentially to have 90 episodes come out. So, if you adjust for the fact that they put out an episode every every week for 90 straight weeks, basically, it's not that bad. I mean, we stopped watching, I guess. I always had a crush on Selma Blair, and she was in, uh, she was in the show and then apparently uh, had a real-life conflict with Charlie Sheen. And then was no longer in the show. I think she's very funny, good actor, uh, very attractive. And she was missed. She was missed. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this. What, what do I think about Tacoma FD? Um, I think I got to watch it, I guess. If they cancel it, that would be quite a... Maybe I could get some Tacoma comics. Be, that might be fun, actually. We could get some Tacoma comics uh, to watch along and then talk about each episode. That'd be fun. Damn, that's a good idea. Maybe I could do this at Tacoma Comedy Club. That would be fun. Okay. Well, that's the end of this episode. Uh, quite a climactic ending. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, remember to tell all everyone you know that the podcast exists and that you enjoy it. And I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.